Heavenly Father, we come before you again and ask that you um, speak to us through your word. Um, may our hearts be open to what you have to say to us. May our ears be open and may our minds be open, Lord. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. Admonish us where we need to be admonished, Lord, and just um, show us, Lord. Show us where it is that we fall short so that we can know you more, so we can love you more, so we can just understand you more, Lord. Lord, fill this room with your spirit. And may we just continue to worship you with, with the word this morning. Use me. To speak your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin by asking you guys, how familiar are you with prayer? I think all of us, um, you know, who are Christians, who have read the Bible, we know that prayer is important. It's a big factor in our, in our walks with the Lord, um, in our communication with Him, and how we fellowship with the Lord. But how familiar are you with it? Um, I want to share a story, and, and uh, I want you to listen to the story and see if you're if you would be able to win this bet. Okay. Two men were talking together. The first one challenged the other. If you're so religious, let's hear let's hear you quote the Lord's prayer. I bet you ten dollars that you can't. Now, quickly, I mean, real quickly, I'm assuming you guys would know what the Lord's prayer is, right? Um, the second responded, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I should die uh, before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The first pulled out his wallet and fished out his $10 bill and said, I didn't think you could do it. You know, that's not the Lord's prayer, obviously. That's, uh, you know, that's just a little prayer that we teach our kids uh, before they go to bed. Uh, the Lord's prayer, again, is our Father who art in heaven, that would be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that is in heaven. Um, and you guys know what I'm talking about. In this morning's passage, we find ourselves in the, third, in the third morning of Jesus' final week leading to his crucifixion. On this day, we return back to the fig tree that Jesus had cursed in verses, in verses 12 through 14 in chapter 11. Now today we're going to read about the reaction that the disciples had when they saw that fig tree, that that fig tree had withered, and what Jesus' explanation reveals about the power of effective prayer. Now, why was this important for them to teach, for, for Jesus to teach this? Why was this so important for, for them to know this? Well, in just a few short days, he would be crucified. He would be beaten, and he would be um, tortured and and he would be eventually hung on a cross and be killed there. And he would get to be, and, and for just a short amount of days, he was gonna be taken from them. So now more than ever, they would need to learn about the importance of prayer and the power it yields. And I think it's also important for us to understand that as well. The disciples had Jesus there and they were with him in his company. And after he would be um, he would ascend up to heaven 
you wouldn't be with them. They would have to rely on the Holy Spirit. You would send down the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will guide them and teach them. And so it's important for us to also to understand the importance of prayer and what effective prayer is and the power that's behind effective prayer. So throughout our time together this morning, I'm going to be sharing um, with you how Jesus Christ used the withered tree to demonstrate how the power of prayer will produce powerful results when the focus of our faith is in God alone. So as I said, if you're... Um, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to begin reading. Um, we're going to be reading our verse. And how we do it again here is that I, I read the passage and then we teach expositionally. Um, I'll be explaining what um, um, more carefully about what each portion or each verse in the Bible, what we're talking about. And I, again, I hope that you guys will be able to really get the, the meaning behind this message. So again, Mark chapter 11. Starting in verse 20. Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, all, these, all the things you pray, pray and ask for, believe that you have received them, and you, will, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive, forgive your wrongdoing. Now, one of the events we looked at last week was how Jesus had cursed a fig tree. He had entered, right before, well, he had entered Jerusalem. The next morning, he went, he saw this fig tree from a distance and was like, I guess, well, we're told that he was hungry that morning. So he sees a fig tree and he walks up to it because he's hungry, but notices that this fig tree, all it had was leaves. It didn't have any fruit in it. And although it wasn't necessarily fig season, the fact that it still had leaves it should have at least budded fruit, or it should have, you know, budded something, you know. And what we come, what we came to find out was it was, it was a fruitless tree. It was a barren tree. And after he had cursed it, Mark tells us at the end of verse fourteen that his disciples heard what happened. They understood what happened. Now our passage this morning begins with Jesus and his disciples passing that same fig tree the following morning. Now again, if we follow chronologically what's going on here, um, this would be the third day, which would be typically on a, well, on a Wednesday. Now as they passed it, as they passed this fig tree, the disciples noticed that indeed this fig tree had withered. Now if you remember, I mentioned that Jesus had found with this fig tree an object lesson to teach a lesson on the dangers of spiritual hypocrisy. And I shared with you the implications spiritual hypocrisy has on those who, who appear to have fruit, those who appear to be fruitful, but in all reality, in all reality are just nice-looking leaves. They're barren. They're fruitless. They're just green leaves without any fruit. Now, a second lesson Jesus was demonstrating through this fig tree applies to Israel. Israel. 
symbolized in the Old Testament as God's fig tree. And examples of that in, uh, are, are in Hosea 9.10 and 1 Kings 4.25. Now what Jesus was implying with this fig tree was that the Jewish nation had proved its unfruitfulness with the respect of, to God's purpose for her. Now his aim was to show that the hypocrisy of the fig tree was evident even down to the heart of Jewish worship, the temple, which the religious leaders had turned into a house of commerce rather than a house of prayer of all, for all nations. Now, before I get into the third and final lesson that this fig tree has to, that Jesus wants to teach us through this fig tree, let me explain the context of what's going on here. All right, verse 21 tells us that Peter remembers, he recalls what Jesus had done and said to this fig tree. And then he points out the obvious. He says, look, Jesus, the fig tree that you cursed, it's withered now. Now, in Matthew's account of this, of this event, Peter adds this question to his statement. He says, how did this fig tree wither so quickly? Peter was completely mystified. Now again, we, I mentioned last week that this was the first, this was the only destructive um, miracle of Jesus. All these other miracles, um, they were constructive. They, 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 they did something wonderful. They gave life. They, they, um, demons were, were um, cast away and people were healed. Um, but this was the first and only um, destructive uh, miracle. And Peter was completely mystified. He wanted to find out, okay, we understand that power of healing and casting out demons and you know, making bread and extra fish from three loaves and, well, two fish and three loaves and five loaves, I'm sorry. But what, what does this mean? What is this? What kind of power is this? So, it's at this point that Jesus answered, have faith in God. Now, Jesus' explanation to Peter was that this miracle was really the result of prayer made in faith. It was a kind of faith that he encouraged and desired his disciples to have so they would trust in God and that, um, so that they would trust that God would hear them too. And again, this was going to be important for them to know during these next few weeks, during this next time, tumultuous times, when everything was just going to be going crazy. And especially after he was going to be ascended up to heaven, and they would have to again rely, to rely on the Holy Spirit and on prayer for power. Jesus was also making it clear that prayer must be offered in faith, and that faith must be in God alone. In other words, and this is what uh, the meaning here is, the object of faith is not in faith, but in God. Then in verses 23 to 26, Jesus begins to explain his third lesson, specifically the power of faith. How do, he does this first. He does this by first showing the faith that they ought to have when they pray. And he says, I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, 
be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And then secondly, he explains the obstacle that diminishes the power of faith. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Now this is one of those passages that has been misused by the health and wealth prosperity teachers. Now let me explain something. According to prosperity theology, faith is not a God-centered act of the will. Rather, faith is a force that humans create that is directed at God. One prosperity preacher put it like this, faith is a spiritual force, a spiritual energy, a spiritual power. It is this force of faith which makes laws of the spirit world function. In the, part, in, in the prosperity theology, man, not God, become the focal point of prayer. The overemphasis on man turns prayer into a tool believers can use to force God to grant their desires. Now another prosperity preacher said this, when we pray, believing that we have already received what we're praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key, is it is a key to getting, the re, getting results as Christians. When passages such as this, the passages that we had, the passage we have here, is taken out of context. It's not only, it only, not only relegates God to a glorified genie in a bottle, but it also contradicts what the rest of the Bible says about how God answers prayer. The Bible gives us, all throughout the Bible, gives us a wealth of information about prayer repeatedly stressing the importance of trusting God for the answers to our prayer. You see, this kind of theology, this kind of prosperity theology is an example of having faith in faith, not faith in God. Or not, I'm sorry, not in God. In verse 22, Jesus wants us to understand that the object of faith is in God. Therefore, the focus of our faith must be on the sovereign Lord, not on faith itself. When we offer our prayers to God, it's our faith in Him that produces powerful results. In the last part of James 5.16 it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now if you ever wonder, what is effective prayer? What does that mean? What does that entail? Well, effective prayer essentially is true prayer. Effective prayer is prayer that works, prayer that, that is strong, prayer that is powerful. Now, the Lord gives us five essential elements to what true prayer is. Five essential elements of true prayer. Number one, there must be the heart's desire. Number two, there must be the expression of that desire in prayer. Number three, there must be a faith to carry the prayer to God. Number four, there must be a faith to accept God's answer. And number five, the experience of the desired blessing must follow. And so within verses 23, 
and 26. I'm going to explain how Jesus gives us five components necessary for effective prayer in order to move those mountains that are in your life, in order to move those obstacles that are in your life, in order to, to move these mountains and just hurl them into the sea. I'm going to show you five components necessary to do that for powerful and effective prayer. The first component to effective prayer is historical. This historical component has to do with remembering those moments in the past where you saw God, where you saw God move and were aware of God's power on display. This was an obvious display. You just knew that it was God. You knew that it was Him moving. You knew that nothing else can explain of what just happened then then it, it was God it was obvious now in this case for instance Peter became aware of Jesus power after having seen the tree withered from the root up he remembered and he became aware oh wow you know the power of Jesus his word it made it wither now for me personally God's power became evident when he restored my family and my job back to me after having essentially lost them all because of my pride and my selfishness. That's how he revealed himself to me. But what about you? What about when have there ever been instances, obvious instances where God just, it was just obvious that God was moving? That it was God who answered the pra your prayer where you became aware without a shadow of a doubt that God had just done something powerful in your life or in the life of another person and you witnessed it. You see, if God had never proven himself to you in the past, it would be difficult for you to call on him now. That's why. That's why it's so important that you never forget those powerful times God showed himself to you. You see, the more you remember, the more you recall, the more you, you just sit back and, and, and think about all the blessings God has, has bestowed upon you. All those times God spared your life, all the times God has spared you from, from any hurt and any anger any, or whatever it may be, it, just, it, ought, it ought to strengthen your faith. It ought to strengthen um, your belief in Him. I mean, you guys know in your own personal lives, again, what those moments were. I do. Every time I get tempted, every time I get, you know, uh, you know, as a former alcoholic, every time I start, you know, going uh, when I'm at the store and I start seeing, you know, the beer aisle and I, you know, I, I have to remember, I have to think back to where I was and what that did to me and what the, what's just the, the destruction that it caused in my, my personal life, in my professional life. And then I, you know, I am, I'm thankful to the Lord that he, that he restored everything to me. You see them again, the more you remember, the stronger your faith, trust, and confidence will be towards God. Now you can almost hear the writer of Psalm 77, 11, and 11 through 12 cry out, I will remember the Lord's works Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. 
Ladies and gentlemen, effective prayer begins when you remember the powerful ways God has proved himself faithful to you. This component is seen in verse 22, where Jesus tells the disciples, have faith in God. The point Jesus is making here is that you must trust God. You must trust God, absolutely trust God. Trust in his power, trust in his purpose, trust in his promise, his plans, and his will. When you begin to understand the importance of trusting that God knows what's best for you, your prayers begin to become more focused on his will and purpose being accomplished than on making demands to satisfy your own needs and desires. E. Stanley Jones wrote this, Prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God and cooperation with, with that will. If I, throw out, if I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but aligning the aligning of my will to the will of God. So if you desire, if that's what your desire is, if your desire is to have a more effective prayer life, Remember God's power and trust by submitting to God's will. The third component to effective prayer is spiritual. The spiritual, the spiritual component, component is found in verse 23. And there it says, I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. The key word here is believe. By using a mountain as an analogy, Jesus, uh, and, and what I'm saying is an analogy because, you know, uh, Jesus wasn't necessarily meaning physically lift up a mountain and, and toss it into the sea. He was using a figure of speech here. But he was using the mountain as an analogy, um, saying that the size of a problem becomes irrelevant to the person who believes God is bigger than that problem. The point Jesus is making here that whatever obstacle, and we all have obstacles, we all have um, things that get in the way or huge issues, huge problems that may come our way that are testing our faith. But whatever obstacle or problem you're facing, and are asking God to remove, you must believe it's going to happen if it's in alignment to God's will. Again, he isn't saying to have faith in your faith. The reality, because the reality is that, our, that in and of ourselves, our faith has no power and our words have no power. God alone has all the power. This is what John MacArthur said. Your faith is only a way to activate God's power within the framework of his purpose. So when Jesus says that you must believe and not doubt in your heart, he's not talking about doubting your own faith. He's talking about doubting God. James wrote this about uh, this kind of doubt. He says in James 1.6, 
But let him ask in faith without doubting, for a doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. If you believe God is all-powerful and can do all things, then don't doubt that he can't move the mountain in your life. Again, our faith is, is, is sometimes fickle. Our faith can, be, can waver to and from, but you know what? If we believe that God can and will do this, he will. Again, if it's in accordance, if it's in alignment to his will. Luke 17, 16, Jesus, in Luke 17, 16, Jesus suggests that God's works perf- God works powerfully even when, the, when we have faith the size of a mustard seed. Have faith in his goodness. He knows exactly how to remove that mountain. He knows exactly how to remove that obstacle. And he has the power to do it. Okay, so effective prayer involves remembering, trusting, and believing. Now let's look at the fourth component to effective prayer. That fourth component is practical. And this practical component is seen in verse 24. And I'll read that again. Therefore I tell you, all things, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them, and you will have them. If you want to be more effective in your prayers, simply ask. And the way Jesus puts it here, he's saying that if you is saying that ask as if you already as if already happened. Now, my wife and I have always told our kids that they can ask us anything. They can ask us anything they want. Now, most of the time, they ask for things rather they ask for things rather than about things. You know, we want to teach our kids knowledge. We want to teach our kids, th- you know, um, important information about life. But it just seems like all they're, you know, all they're asking for is uh, thing, for things. Now, that's, it's, it's okay because we know that when they do ask us for things, whether they get it or not, they know. They absolutely believe and they know that we still care about them and we still love them. You know? Where, uh, you know, we don't always give them everything that they ask for. I mean, again, what kind of parents would we be if you just gave them everything that, you know, that they, they asked for and wanted? You know, I think we'd be horrible parents doing that. Um, but sometimes they'll ask for things that we may not feel may be, that we feel may not be right for them at that particular time. And as parents, we have an obligation and responsibility to do what's right for them. We have an obligation and responsibility. Whether they like it or not, we have to do what's right for them. God works in a similar way. He wants us. He wants us as his children to ask him for anything. But he also knows that everything we ask for is not beneficial for us. It may not just... It may not be right for us. He may not want that for ourselves, for our lives. These prosperity preachers use this verse to basically teach that you can demand anything from God, and with the power of your faith, He is obligated to give it to you. You know, I'm sorry, but this kind of thinking is, is absolutely wrong, and it contradicts what the Bible tells us about who God is. 
We must keep in mind that whatever we ask for, and this is important here, that whatever we ask for should be asked that it be done according to his will. Let me give you an example. Pretty soon we're going to be covering um, Jesus. Uh, the day prior, the night prior, he was um, crucified and when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you read the story, you remember that Jesus was there in the garden in anguish. And with tears of blood running down, I'm sorry, with sweat, sweats of blood coming down, he cried out, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He cried out in that same way, and he used, that's our example there. We have to be asking for that, that whatever we ask for, that it be done according to his will, not ours. If you want to be more effective in prayer, simply ask him. Andrew, Andrew Murray, Murray wrote this, The desire of the heart must become the expression of the mouth. Our Lord Jesus more than once asked those who cried out, for, cried out to him for mercy, What do you want? He wanted them to tell him what they wanted. To declare it stirred their whole being into action, brought them into contact with them, and, then, and awakened their expectation. To pray is to enter into God's presence, to claim and secure his attention, to commit our need to his faithfulness, and to leave it there. It is in so doing that we become fully conscious of what we're asking for. All right, just again to review. So up to this point, the components to effective prayer are historical, and that is to remember. Theological, have faith or trust in God. Spiritual, believe. And we just covered the practical part of it, to ask. The fifth and final component to effective prayer is moral. This moral component is found in verses 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, forgive your wrongdoing. Oh man, what heavy words. If you want to be more effective in your prayer, deal with the sin that's in your heart. Now the example Jesus gives us here is the unforgiveness towards another person. And I think all of us could think of somebody that really harmed us, that really hurt us, that really did some damage to us that we think back and we're like, man, if I was if I was right next to that person right now, I would, you know, I don't know how I would react. I would, you know, it's it's that that kind of attitude. Jesus is simply saying, if you have anything against anyone, hurl it away. Now, in the original Greek language, that word forgiveness that's in there means, that's what it means. It means hurl it away, toss it away. 
so that your Father in heaven will also forgive your wrongdoing. Now, Jesus isn't talking about losing your salvation. That's not what this is about. He's talking about all the wrongdoings we commit as believers that interfere with our relationship with God. I don't know about you, but personally, I don't want anything to get in the way between me and God. So I'm going to make every effort. I'm going to make every effort to deal with any unforgiven sin that's in my heart. You know, I ask the Lord, when I'm, when I'm praying, I ask the Lord, you know, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I've fallen short. Show me my pride. Show me my selfishness. Because, I mean, I'm not, again, I've mentioned this before, I'm not perfect. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to argue with my wife. I'm still going to argue with my kids. You know, but I do want the Lord to show me, okay, is this, am I arguing because of my own selfish pride, because of my own flesh, because I want to be right? I mean, and, and I do, and I ask the Lord, you know, show me again. I, I don't want to deal with this sin, and I don't. I want to be forgiven of this sin. So I ask the Lord, just show me, Lord, show me. No sin is worth interrupting my fellowship and usefulness in my prayer life, and I hope you feel the same way. Again, no sin is worth it. You guys know what I mean? I mean, do you know that, do you, do you think that sin is worth interrupting that fellowship that you have with the Lord? And that usefulness? And how He wants to use you in your prayer life? Now, I honestly, if my sin is keeping me, is keeping God from answering my prayers for you, because I choose not to forgive someone who wronged me, what does that say about me? If you, if you come to me and ask me, you know what, Angel, I, I, I have this prayer request and, and this is really, this is this serious event that's happening in my life. And, and if my sin is getting in the way between God hearing and listening and activating and, and working, doing the work in that prayer, and I... Again, I, I don't want, I don't want that. You know, I want God to move powerfully in your lives. So I'm gonna just, you know, I'm gonna do whatever, do whatever I can to do away with, with, uh, with any unforgiveness, any sin that's that's that hasn't been dealt with. Now, maybe one of the reasons God hasn't been answering your prayers is because you've chosen to hold a grudge against somebody. The choice is yours. And this is up to you. Hold a grudge and feel vengeance or have your prayers answered. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We have to remember, we have to think back. 
man, especially when, when we think about that person that, that wronged us, how many times have we wronged God? How many times have we disappointed God? How many times have we um, failed God? I know, I, I, I mean, I've lost count. Again, this choice is yours. Hold a grudge and feel vengeance or have your prayers answered. If you want to have a more effective prayer life, deal with the sin that's in your heart. Ask God to forgive you of your sins as, as you forgive those who sinned against you. Now as I conclude, I want to quickly review what we've, what we've learned and put it all into a clearer perspective. Now there are three main lessons to be learned by this fig tree, by this barren and withered fig tree. The first lesson, this barren fig tree is an illustration regarding those who have the appearance of being spiritually fruitful, but are really not. Lesson two, this fig tree represents a, rep this fig tree is a representation of the Jewish nation and how God and how it proved, to be, proved its unfruitfulness with respect to God's purpose for her. And the third lesson, the withered tree, the withered fig tree was a demonstration of the power of prayer. Now, this last lesson taught us that effective prayers to God produce powerful results. When the focus of our faith is in Him and not in faith itself, and here's what we are main, what we mainly covered here. If you want to be more effective in your prayer, remember the powerful ways God has proven himself faithful to you. Have faith in God and trust in his power, his purpose, his promise, his plans, and his will. Believe that it's going to happen if it's according to his will. Simply ask him. But ask him that it be done according to his will. And lastly, deal with the sin that's in your heart. Now I'm going to end by saying this. When we fall on our knees and cry out to God and we give him the concerns of our hearts, we can know for sure that he hears and answers us. And his answers are always perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come before you with humble hearts, Lord. Because you know exactly what lays deep within those hearts, deep within our hearts. And you know where we fall short. You know where those um, sins are that, that haven't been dealt with, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you just, that we, we ask for forgiveness, Lord. We ask that you forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for making ourselves more powerful than you, for making ourselves um, 
thinking that we know more than you. Lord, we humbly come before you and just ask for forgiveness. Lord, show us again who you are and reveal to us the power of faith, Lord, the power of prayer. Help us believe, Lord. Help us remember those times you've been faithful. Give us strength, Lord, to have faith in you, to have faith in your promises, to have faith in your plans, to have faith in your will. Lord, we believe that what you say is going to happen, will happen, Lord. Not by our will, but by your, but by your will, Lord, according to your will. Lord, teach us how to ask you. How to ask for things that are pleasing to you. Not pleasing to us, not pleasing to our flesh, but pleasing to you, Lord. And once again, Lord, help us to deal with the sin that's in our heart. We don't want anything to get in the way between our relationship with you. You want to grow powerfully, and we want to walk with you <coughs> in power. Show us, Lord, where we fall short. And if there's anyone listening and watching or watching that's never accepted the Lord it has never asked the Lord to come into their heart and you're ready to do that and, and you feel the Lord just pulling tugging the strings of your heart and you want to be used by God and you want your prayers and you want to see that power you want it in your prayers just simply pray this quietness of your heart. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sins. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you are Lord. I accept your forgiveness, Lord, and I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, teach me how to be your child, how to walk with you and to depend on you, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those who, who prayed that and I pray you just work mightily in their lives, Lord. Bring them the right people to guide them and teach them to they may find good churches to be able to hear your word. And I pray for everyone here, Lord. 
everyone here that's struggling with anything that they again may come to you for the answers Lord bless everyone here bless their families bless their jobs we just ask that you and I ask that you protect them bless this next time of fellowship Lord may we honor you with our conversations and and just bless the rest of this day as well Lord and the rest of this week we love you and we praise you in Jesus name Amen